So today we have Natalie Furness on the show. Hey, Natalie, it's great to have you. Hey, Jeff, it's great to be here. So we've known each other for a number of years, and I just can't wait to have this interview. And quite frankly, I think it took a little bit of time to get this lined up. Yeah, I mean, we had, my puppy got sick, we got busy. I think we're probably the busiest two people in the RevOps space right now. Uh, I think that'd be underselling some of our peers, but I, I'd say we're rank up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Cool. So you sent me this awesome intro. I'm going to read it out so that the audience knows you because I know who you are, but maybe some listeners don't. So if you don't mind, I'm going to you know pontificate about how awesome you are just very quickly. So Natalie Furness is the founder and CEO of RevOps Automated, a technology consultancy serving international businesses to scale revenue by aligning people, processes, and data systems. Natalie is ranked as a top RevOps LinkedIn thought leader. She is president of the RevOps Research Collective and internationally recognized author of the annual RevOps report. Alongside her day job, Natalie is passionate about inspiring people to influence positive change and evokes action through her keynote speeches and seminars. She's also big into kickboxing. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. You're in the kickboxing. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, that was a hobby I actually took up towards the end of lockdown, you know, during that time where we were allowed to train, but only outside and not indoors. Um, actually, sadly, um, my grandma passed away and um, I actually found the, the red collar um, the white collar, sorry, white collar boxing, where you could kind of compete um, in boxing or kickboxing to raise money for cancer research. So I put on a little bit of weight during lockdown. So I was like, what can I do to keep fit and also commemorate my nan? And those kind of things came together and I got into it and haven't really stopped. It's a very addictive sport once you get into it. That's cool. That's cool. Well, condolences, um, obviously. And um, but I don't think I've heard anyone say I'm, I've gone into kickboxing to pay homage to, to my Nana. <laughs> so that's a new one. I'm not sure she would have thought about it, but she always said she thought I was a little bit strange. So um, I hope I lived up to that reputation. Very cool. Very cool. So tell me a little bit more about RevOps Automated. It's an agency in the RevOps space. I think you make quite a bit of waves on, on LinkedIn. I, I just maybe tell me a little bit about the, the company you operate. Yeah, so I founded the company and... Well, we sort of launched in 2021. It was more of a, a kind of out of frustration, really, that people were focusing on either marketing or sales and, or customer success. And there wasn't really anyone, particularly over here in Europe, shouting this kind of end-to-end -end revenue operations, you know, talking about the customer experience and aligning marketing, sales, customer success. So I launched that with the annual revenue operations report, and we had a ton of interest and now we're an international team servicing businesses across the US, UK, Europe, you know, usually um, Series A, Series B and beyond with implementing HubSpot, Salesforce, the integration and all the kind of sales enablement, revenue enablement stuff that goes along with generating more revenue. We've done some cool projects recently, actually. Um, recently did a like ground up build of the revenue operation system for a sustainable energy company. That was great fun. And, and it was amazing to see that after all the efforts of putting in all those operations and the reporting and the optimization of saving, I think we were saving them about 100 days a month of C-suite time and able to get their reporting right. So they were able to raise, you know, over 150 million from 
from sort of grants and pension schemes and things like that. So they could actually implement the the well needed infrastructure for EV charging in the UK. That's really cool. So I, I drive EVs at here in Los Angeles. Um, Los Angeles is known for its traffic and its smog and I'd like to say that I'm, I'm not one of the folks contributing to the smog <laughs> in Los Angeles. So uh, kudos to you. Um, second of all, um, that's an interesting client, uh, really, you know, renewable energy, I think is projected by 2027 or 2026 to outpace both oil and, uh, and gas as kind of the core um, sources of energy, at least here in the US. And, you know, those investments were made, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. This, so now to see the last mile, right? Those EV chargers, and you're playing a role in that, right? Like who would have known that, you know, your RevOps work would actually play an instrumental um, part of that success. Yeah, and I think it's quite important to sort of recognize that RevOps isn't just for SaaS. You know, we're, you know, we're implementing this, not only in SaaS model businesses, but in infrastructure businesses, construction businesses, all these other businesses, because ultimately we all have marketing, sales, customer success, and, and a revenue function. So we do need RevOps. Cool. So tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, we were talking, you know, before we were having this call, we were talking about the single source of truth, building an end to end. And you alluded to this in kind of the aha moment for in the UK, the end to end motion. Um, you know, what's your thesis around building that end to end, you know, integrated go to market motion across companies from day one? Yeah, so I think the key thing here is is kind of like, first of all, thinking about like, what is single source of truth? Because I think we have quite a lot of definitions of like, what is the single source of truth uh, across the across revenue operations. And I'm not a big believer that we can have a single source of truth, but we definitely should be governing the data completeness and the way that data flows across marketing, sales and customer success. And I do believe that revenue operations should own that. You know, it's very much our job to understand the metrics that matter at every stage in the customer journey. And as much as we can orchestrate completeness of that data. And it's really important that we, you know, we're able to empathize with what marketing needs, what sales needs, what customer success needs, what service needs, what finance needs, what legal needs, because without understanding what all of those parts of the business needs, we can't orchestrate this idea of data completeness so that these these teams can all deliver what they need to. Um, yeah, some key themes there I think are interesting. One, um, you know, what's the problem you're solving for as a collective group and then individually as a function, you all have different pieces of the pie, KPIs that matter to one group or the other. But then be beneath that is at the fountainhead, you know, data flows, governance, completeness. I think those are awesome themes. I'm curious to see, you know, what are the top, you know, when you go into a client, what's the typical situation you're facing? Is it a build from the ground up or more of a, we've gone in this direction and now we have to transform where we are to a future, an ideal future state? We see both. We see some ground up ones. I have to say ground up ones are actually often easier to navigate because we don't have the technical debt. We don't have the data. We also potentially don't have the, the CEOs, founders, C-suite or business who 
who doesn't trust consultants that maybe they had before. Um, whereas in the transformation projects, which we do see a lot more of, we have the technical debt. People are often very committed and um, very loyal to the technology stack that they have already. They don't necessarily want to change that easily. They want you to fix all their data. Um, and the biggest thing I'm seeing is that businesses don't seem to have their life cycle stages mapped throughout their software. You know, when we talk about revenue operations and the bow tie methodology and the importance of tracking, you know, lead to MQL, SQL, into an opportunity, into a customer, into a, you know, onboarded first impact, reoccurring impact and, you know, ultimate impact. No one is defining or tracking them across their whole stack. They might have bits of them in one software, bits of them in the other, but there's no orchestration to allow every platform to report on where people are in their journey with the brand. And that's the biggest challenge that I'm really seeing and, and really wanting to help businesses overcome really is just having a view of where your contacts and accounts are in this life cycle with your brand. I think that's hugely fascinating, right? We talked about, or you talked about the bow tie model. And for those who are unfamiliar, the bow tie model is really two funnels facing each other with the narrow ends connecting. And that's really the acquisition process on the left. And then the post acquisition loyalty and expansion processes set on the right. And that entire journey is the kind of the life cycle of a customer. I think there's some powerful things you talked about there or themes. Uh, one, technical debt. Um, I'm going to get that to that in a second. Um, two, a lack of trust with consultants. Uh, I've been there. I've been a consultant. I've also worked and hired consultants and it goes both ways. You know, I think that uh, it speaks to, um, you know, the amount of inertia or friction you have to overcome uh, with many of these clients. Third, loyalty. That's, an, that's actually a very interesting one. I tend to be very black and white binary around, you know, does this bring me joy or not? Or is this functional or not? But the fact that folks operate in the gray and they're just quite loyal, perhaps maybe there's some job security with some of these technology systems with internal employees. Um, that's an unspoken rule, but you, you kind of see that a, a little bit as well. Um, one thing I think, I don't think you mentioned, um, but I, I often see companies fall victim to the shiny object syndrome. They read something on LinkedIn, they think, holy smokes, that must be the newest thing. I have to have it. And they go chase, you know, they chase the newest car down the street only to find that it, there's a lot of overlap with the tools that they have today, right? So, uh, or the feature set that they need just aren't built. Um, I'd love to dig into the loyalty piece because there's a little bit of psychology there. How do you personally, well, how do you know that you're spotting a little bit of loyalty with the tech stack? And when, how do you gently let a client know or educate them that maybe it's time to let go or maybe it's actually time to double down. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think this is a massive challenge, particularly for any RevOps person or, or any marketing sales person coming into a business and realizing that the stack was built by a lot of different people wanting the tools that they wanted. And building them in the way they wanted them without really thinking about how they would ever integrate with each other. Or they 
purchase tools that do exactly the same thing, but because they're from different budgets and different departments, they didn't even realize they had those two things. Um, how do I notice that there is some loyalty? Well, it's usually during, we, we always do a stack audit and we always really, where we can, is really helpful when businesses have a bit more of a procurement system in place and they actually have a record of all of the software they've procured. So we'll usually obtain that, look through the software and, you know, if we don't know the software, we'll Google the software most of the time. We're all familiar with most of the tools. I'd like to think that we're in the market, at least know where they operate. G2 is obviously a good resource. You can kind of look out to look at the functionality at a high level as well. And if we start seeing overlaps, we'll go out and potentially reach out to those different team members and ask them, you know, what are you using this tool for? And then the other team and kind of see if they're using it for the same things and different things. There are some instances where people are using overlapping tools, but they're using them so differently for almost like the very niche part of those tools that it makes sense to have both. But then there are tools where they're using potentially in exactly the same way and paying twice. Then we have to think about, you know, are these really required? And then when you're having those conversations and start leaning towards what the impact would be if this person considered maybe moving somewhere else or if they didn't have this tool and they had a different tool, that's when you'll start to uncover if they're totally fine with looking and seeing what other options there are that might suit the business better or if they're really wedded to that tool. You, you start feeling... But if you've ever had a conversation with like a friend where you start like approaching like a topic of conversation they just really disagree with you on you kind of have that awkward feeling that you shouldn't be talking about this that's the feeling you you get when you approach that of course we all know that there is a uh, a big difference between what salesforce people think a lot of the time and what hubspot people think i tend to operate across both of them now as well and i'm starting to understand the nuances between the different ones but when you're looking at changing a system that has got so many processes that they've built into it that they've invested so much time so much energy is almost part of their role you can kind of understand why people don't want to let go of that stuff and i've also been reflecting thinking if we remove that bit of technology from the stack are people fearful that their skills and their expertise might not be so you know so relevant for the business that that's that's got to be scary for people that's so super interesting i spent my first couple of years in operations in the salesforce ecosystem and those were the years where sales loft and outreach outreach were starting to come up and so when it came to certain specific tools if I, if I went into an environment or was giving advice to someone, you know, they had to be on a Salesforce, they had to be on Salesforce rails in order for me to really feel like I was contributing over the last few years. I've actually operated quite a bit in HubSpot and I've actually come to appreciate the leaps and bounds that they've had on the CRM side of the house. It's not just a marketing tool. Um, it's really an end-to-end -end business platform and they're coming quite feature rich, um, very rapidly. And I think it's good for, I think it's good for, to have options in the market. And now as a, you know, revenue operator trying to abstract away, you know, business principles from the technological, technological details, I can say, you know what, a lot of these tools actually have feature parity in many of the core areas you need in your life cycle. Sure. There might be gaps in workarounds, but that's, that's, a, that's going to be closed with time. 
or you can close it with a build or you can go build it with it and close it with an integration. And so I think everyone has to think through their own personal uh, situation at work and make the best choice that's available for them. I, I don't try, I try not to, I try to be technologically agnostic these days just because being so dogmatic about one tool or the other, I think it really leads you astray. Yeah, I think the one thing I'm learning more when I, the more what I work in more and more businesses is that the easiest way to build truth across all of your functions is to have all of the functions underpinned by a single data warehouse system. If you have a CRM that covers all of those functions, it's going to be much easier. However, you might make some sacrifices to do that, but you need to decide, is what I want to have an end-to-end -end customer journey, marketing sales, customer success, customer service, your website, all your forms, everything, your advertising, your, your social media, do you want that all in one CRM-based solution? Or do you want to have multiple tools and then manage the integrations? Because I think what's really important here is that people understand that every time you add a tool, you add an integration operation step. Unless you get to so many integrations when you get bigger that you then look at a data orchestration tool itself to actually, where you it's someone's job to sit on this tool to actually orchestrate all of the data systems so that you know the metrics that matter move from one platform to another. So that's really a question for businesses. What matters more? Does this truth matter more? Or does having the tools that you would like, but potentially there being lots of different tools and having this integration matter most? So there's an aspect to it where I think you see a, a duck on the surface of the water. Everything's running smoothly. Then you peek underneath the water and you can see the duck's legs just like churning, but they're just staying there. So there's a lot of work just to tread water. And I think a lot of times when folks are thinking about these tools, yeah, I want the result, but the calories, the energy that it takes just to get there, which is that, you know, that integration operations that you talked about, that's another administrative burden that you're placing on to revenue operations teams. I think revenue operations teams can have a healthy dose of you know, assessing their capacity and their capability and pushing back or making the right trade-offs ahead of time and managing those workloads accordingly. Um, but on the surface of it, there's that technical debt you're also incurring, right? Because these tools are somewhat unique. And so maybe it's not a perfect tool. You have to build some sort of workarounds, custom fields, workflows, validations um, on the back end just to get the thing to work. But that technical debt, I'm curious to hear from you, by the way, you know, how do you think about paying off that debt? I think in personal finance, you can think of pay it off all at once, pay it off in installments, or I close my eyes and hope it goes away and you know that's just going to go away magically. I'm curious how you think about that. Oh, how do we think about that? I think I think there are key events as businesses grow where they have to start thinking about what they need to implement. You know, when you're in that phase of like growth at all costs, I mean, I don't necessarily buy into them ever doing that. But you know, when you're in a real growth mode, you might not think about what you're implementing you might be just focusing on growth but then you get to a point where you need to be sustainable and scale and it's usually at that 
point, if they haven't implemented RevOps from day one, which I'm a big advocate for, RevOps from day one just helps you grow and scale all at the same time. But if you haven't done that from day one, usually when you're moving into this, do you know what, we've grown, but now we need to scale sustainably. We need to be able to protect ourselves from any changes in the economy. We want to be going for our next raise and we want to be proving that, you know, we are sustainable. We're planning on being acquired. Like, you know, any of those events coming up, we need to start implementing it. And it's usually kind of an overhaul. We're usually seeing the first overhaul or getting asked to do data cleanses and things like that when a business is usually like one to two years maybe into operating and we're doing like a big project then. But then what usually happens is one of two things. They either keep us, if they don't have their own in-house revenue operations team, they'll keep us in perhaps for a support contract and then we keep stuff running. Or they say we know enough now, but we're not going to hire RevOps and we're just going to, we can manage it ourselves now. Unfortunately, those businesses that choose that option where they, they don't, they don't, they just see the duck, as you said, they don't see the legs and they only appreciate the duck. They don't see the legs. Um, sadly, those are the businesses that will often one, two years down the line say, oh, you know, our consultant didn't necessarily implement what we thought they would, or it didn't stay clean. It's, it's a continual process. Like it's like saying our ho- we'd accept our houses to stay clean. We, we do one spring clean once a spring, but then we don't touch it for the rest of the year and it should just stay beautifully clean. I would I would love that to be the truth, but it's just not, you know, we have to keep, we have to do maintenance. We have to do upkeep, you know, like a car has an MOT. You have to take it in for regular services. You have to look after it. And if you don't fill up the oil and, you know, if you don't put windscreen wash in, in the windscreen wipers, then bad stuff happens. You know, we have to look after our product, our CRM. So I think when we talk about source of truth, um, you know, data systems suffer from the law of entropy, right? Order it takes energy in order to maintain that, that, that sense of order. Without that energy applied to it, things start to fall to disorder. And that is very much true with CRMs, right? As soon as you grab data from a data provider, you put it into your CRM, and you let a year, two years go by, that person, that contact probably changed jobs, per- perhaps. Maybe it's that they're not even in the, the right title anymore. So maintaining those systems take a lot of work. And in fact, that source of truth is, you know, to go back to your points around data flows, governance, completeness, there's a rhythm to it that in order to remove the sediment from, you know, the bank of the river, you really have to maintain uh, the integrity of how that, that data is flowing. Mm-hmm. So... By the way, we're getting to the end segment, and I'm just curious, you know, you've had some major pivots and transitions in your career. If you were to go back in time and talk to young Natalie, what advice would you give her? One piece of advice I think I would give my future self is thinking about the impact metrics before you start a project. I think we all have hmm. this habit of rushing into doing something to create positive change before collecting a baseline. It's very difficult to measure the impact that your project has had if you don't collect a baseline metric, decide which metric you're going to move, do the implementation, and collect the metric in the end. We all say we're going to do it, but I would tell my younger self, definitely do it. Um, we do it now, and it has changed changed a lot for what we can report on as a business, particularly, particularly when we're working with clients. Um, 
working to collect that baseline. Amazing. Man, time flies by with you, Natalie. I really appreciate having you on. Great. Thanks for having me, Jeff.